So we are continuing this morning in a short series through a selection of psalms. And this morning we come to Psalm 6. So please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 6. Hear now the eternal living word of God. To the choir master, with stringed instrument according to the Sheminim, a psalm of David. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you, and Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My my eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. This is the word of the Lord. Throughout my years of being a teacher, a sports coach, a parent, I've learned the importance of discipline. Discipline, as in the practice of training people to obey rules, a code of behavior, and using punishment to correct disobedience. If you don't properly discipline your students, training them how to behave in your classroom, then you can't teach them your subject. If you don't prosper properly discipline your athletes, teaching them how to act and follow the rules of your team, then they won't be able to function as a team. If you don't properly discipline your children, then you won't be able to teach them how to live life God's way, which is what the purpose of disciplining your children is, to teach them how to live on the path of the righteous, to live life according to God's word. And the Bible teaches us that God, as our Father, disciplines us at times. That as his child, God lovingly disciplines you when you need correction. In order to bring you and I to holiness, God disciplines us with a a reprimanding punishment, with the purpose of growth in his image. Now, not all personal suffering is a result of personal sin. But God has revealed that He does discipline his children as a loving father must do. A failure to discipline your children is a failure to love them. And God, in his perfect love, perfectly disciplines you when necessary. 
In our study of Psalm 5 this morning, David is dealing with God's discipline. It's believed by many that he wrote this while he was dealing with the situation from Psalm 3. The situation when David's son Absalom rebelled against him and was trying to kill him. Absalom gathered an army of thousands and he attempted to take the throne from his father David. And as I mentioned a few weeks ago, this event in David's life, God's discipline against David for his sin of adultery and murder. And the prophet Nathan told David, as a consequence of his sin, God would raise up evil against David out of his own house. So the event with Absalom was God chastising David for his sin. So we see in David's life an example of God disciplining his children. And again, it's important, not all suffering is a result of God's discipline. But we do know that God disciplines his children out of love. And so this morning, from David's response in Psalm 5, we get three insights into God's discipline. God's discipline brings you to him. God's discipline brings you to repentance. And God's punishment for the unrepentant. David begins the psalm as he often does, with a plea to God. Starting in verse 1, it says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? David is again crying to Yahweh. Lord is a translation of God's name, Yahweh, his covenantal God. And he begins this time asking for mercy. He says, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. And so God's discipline for David's sin is upon him. And David's asking for God's mercy, his grace, because he says he is languishing. He's suffering. He's begging God to make this stop. And he says, for my bones, he's not only under attack from his enemies, but it seems that he's suffering physically. This could be an illness or any kind of physical ailment. And he's praying for God to heal him. He also says, my soul also is greatly troubled. He's suffering spiritually. He's suffering with the guilt and the consequence of his sin. And so God is rebuking David in his sin, he's disciplining him so that he can turn to him. We see that he's going to God in prayer here, in this suffering. He knows that God is the only one that can help him. And so for you and I, in any suffering, you can turn to the Lord. And so our first insight into God's discipline is God's discipline brings you to him. And so the question, why would a loving God want to discipline you? Especially when it it causes pain and suffering to any extent. One of the reasons is to bring you to him. We notice David's reliance on God in his suffering. He's praying for God to heal him. He knows that the solution is to rely on God. That God can heal him physically and relieve him in his spiritual suffering. In our responsive reading this morning... From Hebrews chapter 12, it actually quotes 
Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. The author of Hebrews goes on to compare the discipline of God to the discipline of an earthly father. But the discipline of our earthly father and parents is actually questioned often in modern culture. Over the years, I've interacted with thousands of children and have seen many parents who just refuse to discipline their children. One time, I was watching a soccer practice for one of my daughters, who I won't embarrass by naming. And it was this cute little soccer for three-year-olds. And there was a family next to me who had a three-year-old son playing in the soccer, and they had a one-year-old son standing with them. And the coach gave the kids a break so they could go get a drink. And the three-year-old son came over and ripped the drink out of the one-year-old's hand. And so the one-year-old freaks out. And he starts screaming and hitting the father. Now the father looks at him and just says, why are you angry? Why are you hitting daddy? And so the kid just continued to hit the father for what seemed like an eternity. Not once did this father tell the child to stop hitting him or tell him that it was wrong to be hitting his father. It wasn't hard to see that there was just a complete lack of parental discipline for the family. The, they were fairly, failed utterly to discipline this little boy and the older son for taking the drink out of his brother's hand. If you're not disciplining your children, if you're not correcting their inappropriate behaviors, that's not loving them. You're setting them up for a lifetime of disobedience. It's actually selfishness that drops because you don't want to deal with the discomfort of actually disciplining your children. The loving thing to do is to discipline a child. Not out of anger, but out of love. So that you can teach them what's best for them. Teach them how they can behave in the world. And that's the point that's made in Hebrews 12. That God's discipline is out of love. God's discipline is to guide us and correct our behavior so we can live properly in this world. It shows that you are a child of God when he lovingly disciplines you. But we don't know the same way David did, whether you're being disciplined or not. David had a prophet that came to him and told him he was specifically being disciplined. But really, any time you're suffering, whether it's sickness, whether you're spiritually troubled, you can go to God. All suffering can bring you to God. In the book of James, he wrote, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And he's referring to any kind of suffering. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He's saying that God uses your trials and sufferings, whether they are a consequence of your sin or not, to produce things in you, to produce steadfastness, to, in order to make you more holy, in order to make you, in your whole self, into the image of God, into the image of Christ. And he does this by bringing you to him. And so when you go to God in your suffering, you could seek him more in his word, and your desire will increase to live life his way. Your desire will increase to please God with how you're living. 
Only good comes to you when you strengthen your relationship with God and rely on Him. And God wants what is best for you. And He knows that is through Him. It's through your relationship with Him. And so God's discipline of you is out of His love for you. It brings you to rely on Him. It brings you to live on the path of the righteous. It brings you to a life of flourishing in service of Him. The author of Hebrews sums up his teaching God's discipline. He says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God's discipline is good for you because it brings you to Him. And as I mentioned last week, as you grow in your relationship with God, He changes you, He changes your desires. And this will produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness in your life. That doesn't mean we desire to suffer. It's never pleasant to suffer. David even cries out to God, how long will this go on? But it's a comfort to know that your suffering is not in vain. That God uses it to bring you to him. And he uses it to bring about in you the peaceful fruit of righteousness. But for David, his life is at stake. He continues in pain. He continues wondering about the consequence of his sin. So he continues to plea to the Lord. He says in verse 4, Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol who will give you praise. And so David calls on the Lord to show mercy to him. He's telling the Lord to turn from his discipline upon him and to deliver him. He doesn't want this situation to be the end of him. He doesn't want to end up like the wicked, like his enemies, like those that have rebelled against God. So he's calling on the Lord to save him, not because David deserves it or because he's earned it in every way, but he says, for the sake of of the steadfast love of the Lord. Now, the Hebrew word translated as steadfast love is this word has said. And it's a very important word that it captures God's covenantal faithfulness. The, no one English word really gives us the full meaning. It's translated as many things. Loyalty, steadfast love, kindness, faithfulness. It's God's unfailing love that is tied to his covenant promises. It usually conveys the idea of God's action. God acting in love according to his promises. God acting in love in steadfast faithfulness to his people. And so David's calling on Yahweh, his covenantal God and king, to show him mercy based on God's faithfulness to his promises. Not based on anything David has done or anything that David is. But he's calling on God to save him based on who God is. Based on the divine love that God shows. Based on God always fulfilling his promises and always being faithful to his covenant. And so in any suffering, you can remember the steadfast, unfailing love of God. The God who has promised to always be with you. And you can draw near to him. His discipline of you. Any suffering you go through should bring you to God. In suffering, 
in sickness, in pain, physical and emotional, whatever struggles you may be facing, should bring you to the one who can heal you. God uses your trials, your struggles in life to bring you closer to Him, to strengthen your relationship with Him. And so David speaks of his tears and his grief. Starting in verse 6, he says, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. And so David poetically describes his grief for his sin and for his enemies hunting him as a consequence of his sin. He's crying in his suffering. And this whole psalm has shown David has turned to the Lord from his sin. And he he has grief and hatred of his sin. It's showing us a true repentance. And so our second insight into God's discipline is God's discipline brings you to repentance. Repentance is a saving grace of God. It's when you, as a sinner, being truly aware of your sin and the extent of your sinfulness, understanding the mercy of God in Christ, you grieve and hate your sin and you turn from your sin toward God. With the attention and the striving for a new obedience in your life. And there's this initial repentance. But then there's the constant repentance daily. You are God's handiwork. But you are a work in progress. And so repentance is this daily struggle that you and I have. Not a day goes by that you don't need the grace and mercy of God. And that he doesn't give it to you. And so not a day goes by that you don't still have sin that you need to repent of. And God will bring about circumstances in your life, which may not be always clear as they were for David, but they bring you to repent. In going to God, you should always confess your sin, asking for his grace, asking for him to lead us in his righteousness, as we mentioned last week. But this theme of repentance comes up repeatedly throughout the Psalms, actually throughout the whole of the scriptures. You see it all throughout the Old Testament. The prophets constantly spoke of repentance. We see it in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in the Epistles, because it's a necessary characteristic of living life God's way, of living on the path of the righteous, both the wicked and the righteous, both those united to Christ by faith and those who rebel against Christ sin. People living God's way of life and people living the world's way of life both sin. But the righteous repent. God's people know it is wrong to sin and desire to live obediently. They want the sin in their life to stop. The wicked couldn't care less about their sin. And so repentance is the mark of someone who is saved by grace through faith. You don't earn your salvation through repentance. But repentance will be present in anyone who is saved by the grace of God. And it will be constantly present in your life. When I first became a Christian, which is well over a decade ago, there was this moment of coming to faith for me. There was a genuine repentance in my life. When I turned from living in complete sin and came to a relationship with God through faith in Christ. 
But now I knew I was a sinner and that my only hope in life and in death was the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I was immature in faith. I didn't really know what the Bible said. I didn't understand the depth of my sin. Because sin isn't primarily about behaviors. It's about our heart. It's about our inmost thoughts, desires, and attitudes. And our behaviors are a manifestation of that. Our behaviors are an outpouring of the wickedness in our heart. And so as I grew in my knowledge and understanding of the scriptures and how to live according to the word of God, I realized more and more how short I fall of this. I, I realized how much of a sinner I actually was when I started trying to stop sinning. The greatest commandment, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. I mention this a good amount because Jesus literally says it's the greatest commandment. So he follows it with love your neighbor as yourself. And there's not a person who has ever lived besides Jesus himself that loves God all day long, every single day in their heart, soul, and mind. Human nature is sinful. We love ourselves with our whole heart, mind, and soul, but not God. We squeeze God in when we can. And I've never met a person in my life who loves their neighbor as much as they love themselves. And if we're being honest, you and I, we love ourselves most of the day. That's why we respond to people the way we do. Why we can be cranky and irritable. Why we focus on what we want, our our comfort, our desires. Loving your neighbor is an outpouring of a heart that loves the Lord. When you focus on loving God, you will love your neighbor in response. And so our failure in these areas, our failure in all the commands of God, in all the commands of Christ, demands our repentance. It's a daily need. When you come to God in prayer, confess your sin. Ask God to reveal to you the sins in your heart that are hidden to you. Continually seek God in repentance so that you can live as he has called you to live. And his discipline can bring this out of you as we see in David. And for David, I think it's important that we don't only think of David as a sinner only because of his big sins of adultery and murder. Because when we only focus on those sins, it's easy to think, well, I've never committed adultery or murder. There's an evangelist that goes around asking people, if you were to die today, would you, and, and come into God's judgment, would you go to heaven or hell? And most people he asks say, I would go to heaven. Why? Well, I never murdered anyone. And so th- this idea, we can get caught up in, I haven't committed those big sins like all those sinners out there. But David was a sinner just like you and I, in that sin was a constant in his life. Besides those, even if he didn't commit those sins, he still sinned every day just like we do. And he had a daily need to repent of his sin, just like you and I do. Jesus revealed the deepness of the sin in our heart on the Sermon on the Mount. So you may not have murdered anyone physically, but every one of us has hated someone committing murder in our hearts. And the point is that repentance requires you to find these areas in your heart, in your thinking, in your attitudes, in your actions, where you are failing to love God. Where you're failing to honor God and glorify Him. And this often shows up in your interactions with others. 
when you want to get your own way, when you're holding a grudge, failing to forgive, when you're treating someone as less important than yourself. And all these are things that require repentance in order to live life God's way, in order to please God, in order to honor God with your life. You have to every day consider your heart, consider how you failed to glorify him and ask God to give you the strength to lead you in his righteousness, to love him, to glorify him and honor him. So whatever your circumstances, if you're suffering or you're doing well, you can go to God in repentance, seeking his mercy, grace and love and he'll heal you. He'll comfort your troubled soul. He will give you the strength to love him and your neighbor more and more each day. David then turns from speaking to God and doing this whole psalm. And he concludes speaking to the workers of evil. Starting in verse 8 he says, Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. David's call now is for these workers of evil, his enemies, those who are on the path of the wicked, those who have rebelled against God and and God's anointed king, who is David. He wants them to depart. He wants nothing to do with them in the life they advocate, the life without God. Because the Lord has heard his weeping. The Lord knows that David is on the righteous path, that he meditates on the scriptures day and night. He knows that David is one of his. The Lord knows the repentance in the heart of David, that he is sorry for his sins. And the Lord has heard and accepted David's prayer for deliverance. And this means that David's enemies, who are also God's enemies, will be punished. He says, all my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. So what we're seeing here is that the consequences of David's sin is different than the consequence of the sin of his enemies. The consequence of the sins of the righteous is different than the consequence of the sin of the wicked. The consequence of those who have repented in the name of Jesus Christ is different than the consequence of the sins of the unrepentant. God's discipline upon his people, upon his children, is an act of love with the goal of bringing you to him, of bringing you to repentance so you can live righteously. But for the wicked, they get God's justice. And that gives us our third insight into God's discipline which is God's punishment for the unrepentant. There's a clear distinction between how God treats the sins of his children adopted in Christ compared to how he treats the sins of the unrepentant, the wicked throughout the Psalms. Those of you united to Christ by faith are not ultimately punished for your sins, but lovingly disciplined to strengthen your faith, your relationship with God in Christ, to bring you to repentance, To bring you to turn from your sin in your life and in your heart toward God. Striving for a loving obedience in your life. But the wicked, those who have no faith in Christ, those who have no relationship with God, those who have no desire to repent, their fate is different. Without repentance, there is no true, genuine faith 
in Christ. Because if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, if the Holy Spirit has brought you to a new spiritual life, and you therefore truly believe that Jesus Christ is your only way to salvation, you will desire to turn from your sin. Everyone who is united to Christ by faith is a new creation, has a new spiritual birth that has brought them to spiritual life in Christ. And in this new life, you will want God to rid you of the sin in your heart. You will want the work in you to be completed through the day-to-day process of being transformed in your whole self into the image of Christ. God's loving discipline of his children is not the ultimate punishment the wicked receive. Because through faith in Jesus Christ, your sins were already ultimately punished on the cross. God can lovingly discipline you with the purpose of producing the, the peaceful fruit of righteousness in you because its justice was already satisfied when Jesus was sacrificed in your place. God isn't just overlooking your sin. Your sins were already punished. God's wrath and justice were fully satisfied by the death of Jesus on the cross. And so your repentance is a fruit of this salvation, not the cause. Your salvation is completely the work of God. The eternal Son of God took on flesh as Jesus, the man of Nazareth. And he lived a life without sin. He lived the only perfectly righteous human life in the history of creation. And through faith in him, his perfect record is transferred to you. So that God in his perfect love sees you in the perfect righteousness of Christ. And he's working that perfect righteousness. He's working you towards that perfect righteousness. And he does this with his loving discipline. And so your sins then don't condemn you to hell. But bring about this discipline so that God can grow you closer to him in repentance. And through your faith, your sins, all of your sins, past, present, and future, were transferred to Jesus Christ and nailed to the cross. So that your fate will not be the fate of the wicked. And now you may be here this morning for whatever reason. But your life hasn't been transformed by Christ. If you're here and you haven't repented. You don't have grief for the sin in your heart or in your life. If that is the case, God has given you a way. You can't save yourself. Salvation is only in Jesus Christ. The way to a relationship with God is through faith in Jesus Christ and only through faith. The faith that is receiving and resting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. You need a substitute to take your place. You need someone to take the punishment of the sins you deserve. And Jesus Christ in him alone has provided that substitute. Because of Jesus, you can be a child of God, lovingly disciplined, And through his resurrection, you will one day be brought to glory. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will be resurrected. With all the pain and consequences of sin behind you. With sickness, grief, mourning, death all behind you. As you enjoy the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And all the blessings of God in Christ for the rest of eternity. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, praising your holy name, 
worshiping you. That you love us in Jesus Christ. You chose us before the foundations of the world to be adopted into your family. That you can lovingly discipline us because our sins were all punished on the cross. And now, Lord, we ask that you continue to lead us in your righteousness. That you continue to bring out the righteousness of Christ in our hearts. Working us each day to be closer to you. To put off our sins and turn to you. That we be a holy light in this world. Showing the love of Christ to all who see us. And we pray this in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.